The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello, welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. I'm Diana Marzalek. I am with Provoke Media. Uh, we have two special guests with us today. Um, first is Sonia Stills, who is the commissioner of the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference. Welcome, Sonia. Thank you, Diana. And we also have Sam Stark, who is an executive VP from the agency 160 over 90. And Sam works closely with uh, Sonia. And we're going to talk about sports. Thank and you for having me on. My pleasure. My pleasure. Um, the first thing, um, Sonia, maybe you can fill us in a little bit. Um, we should let everybody know about the nature of the conference, um, that it is heavy on HBCUs. From my own research, it looks like all but two of the schools in the conference are at football. I have football, yes. Oh, and football. So, okay. You yep. tell me. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you anymore. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so the the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, we're actually, I think, in our 53rd year of existence. Um, we are made up of eight, and I call them the elite eight, historically black colleges and universities. And our um, footprint runs from Delaware all the way down to South Carolina. Um, let me knock on wood for right now. Um, <laughs> you know, with the ever-changing landscape of... of um, athletics and conference realignment. Um, but in, in our conference, we have um, high academic institutions. Um, we have, starting from the top, Coppin State, um, that's in Baltimore with Morgan State. We have Delaware State. We have the University of Maryland, Eastern Shore. Um, Norfolk State, which is right here um, in Norfolk, which is where the conference office is. Um, we have North Carolina Central, and we have um, Howard University, I forgot mm -hmm. DC, and then we have South Carolina State out there in South Carolina in Orangeburg. And so, the alliance, though, of the HBCUs in a conference, is that, um, what's the history of that? Was that intentional? Say that one more time. I asked your question one more time. <laughs> the fact that there are so many HBCUs in this conference, was that oh. intentional? Yes, that is definitely intentional. We are actually born out of the uh, C CIAA or the Collegiate, um, oh, gosh. The, we'll believe you, CI, whatever it is, it's okay. Is, we're built out of the CIAA, which is division two. Okay. So when we, um, the um, presidents, a number of presidents um, decided that they wanted to transition to have division one member institutions. So they broke off from there. Um, and so it was very intentional um, to be able to provide uh, opportunities for the under um, represented um, minorities, um, similar to HBCUs. Well, we do the same thing with sports because back then, of course, um, African-American student, I mean, student athletes weren't able to play at the predominantly white institution. So we have that um, place for them so that they can excel um, and show their athletic ability um, to the world. Which is great. So what are the, I mean, I'm, I, this is all new to me. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I know that, you know, the big 10, I know what, or what it was, yeah. Big 10 and all that stuff, but you're, you are D1, you're in a different conference. Um, 
I'm curious about the challenges you have in the unique position of being a conference of HBCUs. Um, you know, there's so much um, attention and flack uh, about, um, you know, football and student athletes and TV rights and all that stuff. And, and yet you're D1, are you, um, what are the challenges? I mean, are you at, treated it <laughs> at the same <laughs> level or not the same level? You know, where do you, where do you find yourself in terms of the, um, this, the, the academic sure. world? Yeah. So really with, um, HBCUs, you know, we're notoriously, um, historically been underfunded. Mm -hmm. um and resource challenge and so you know up until recently um i think this the the government and the state governments are realizing and making that right and and adding the funding where you know where they didn't have it before um and so when you look at hbcus the infrastructure you know at some of the schools aren't there yet um and because and that's due to funding um, when I look at, say, that everybody being on the HBCU train and wanting to attach themselves to HBCUs, um, when the donations come into the institutions, they don't necessarily trickle down to athletics. Mm -hmm. And so because there's a broader need in the university. So through the conference office, my responsibility is to find that revenue to help our institutions. And so I started the MEAG Foundation to be that pool of money for our institutions to help with facility improvements, championship access, because right now our golf, men and women's golf teams and our baseball teams are with the Northeast Conference because we don't have enough schools to get an automatic qualification to the NCAA. So in order for them to have access, they have to go to another conference. So through the foundation, we're trying to get donations in so that we're able to bring them back within the conference and have that another HBCU um, conference to have access for championships. So right now, there are only two historically Black conferences that are division one and then there are only two division two historically black conferences and um historically black conferences um on that level and so we have to work together to be able to provide those revenues work together so that we can take back the hpc name from third parties so that we're able to give that money directly back to our institutions. When you say third parties, you're talking about conferences or? Promoters. I'm sorry? Promoters. Oh, promoters, promoters. Yeah. So everybody is, you know, we get constantly bombarded with um, classics or um, classic football games, or they want to put on this event, all-star event, and the money doesn't, benefit the institutions nor the conference. It goes directly into their pocket. And so we want to make sure that that money goes to the institution so that they can begin to um, do what they need to do to improve the well-being of our student athletes. That's the most important thing. We want to make sure that we give them a good experience. We want to make sure they have the best facilities and the best um, equipment to do what they need to do because 
even though we haven't had the best resources, we are notorious for doing what we do with what we have. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is pretty amazing. I mean, you're, you're talking about foundations and all, and I know that all schools have different fundraising arms, but particularly in sports, you know, college sports, you've got the big boosters. I mean, some of them have these very, very deep pockets and it just shows some of the challenges you have um, as a different kind of institution and actually having to go fundraise to take care of your athletes. Absolutely. Yeah, we don't. It is funny. Um, we can't call in, in a booster to say, hey, I need $35 million for uh, name, image, and likeness um, for our students. We can't do that. We don't have that. So we have to really get in there, work with our corporate partnerships to, to help, you know, fund the things that we want to do with our student athletes. Is that getting easier? And, and Sam, please chime in. I know that you have worked together on some of these communications efforts and getting over some of the uh, challenges that you have had in communications. I mean, are things getting easier? Are people becoming more aware of not only the schools, but the importance of the schools and um, your mission and your football team? <laughs> yeah, I think through um, our work with 160 over 90, they have really given us the visibility that I think we haven't had before. Mm -hmm. um, I think the messaging is very intentional now as to where it goes. Um, so not only does it talk about the our athletic proudness, but it also talks about the great institutions, academic institutions that we have. So if you don't go for athletics because then you go for academics, but usually academics, Athletics is that front porch to the rest of the university. And so in order for us to do that, we need to continue to um, provide those opportunities, those platforms to let people know who we are. That way that will help us to get more funding coming in. Yeah, I was just going to add on top of that, that mm -hmm. I think that, you know, we started working together in, in 2021. The first thing that we did together was a bit of a brand refresh. And then from that brand refresh, was which was really focused in on celebrating the history of being like a cultural staple, but also all of the great things from the excellence in athletics and academics of like, that is the whole piece of it. We shifted into PR and so supporting and making sure that all the values of the institutions came through in rich storytelling and very personal storytelling. What I'll say from the media landscape is that there is like, it, it, it has gotten more and more of interest to the media for sure. So like in the first year that we worked together, 2021 to 2022, I think we saw impressions increase 60, like 60%. And then this year over last year, we're already above that by an additional 50%, both in impressions and the number of stories that we're able to tell. And I think that's because people care. I think that, that and the media then translate and they want to hear the stories of integration of like innovation and sort of the diversity and all the amazing innovative work, which um, Sonia will let her talk about in more detail, but gender diversity, diversity of thought, like the impact on local community that all comes to life through very specific real programming 
Um, and so that has been definitely of interest. And the strategy of bringing that to life has been through traditional earned media. You know, you have great outlets who want to do in-depth pieces like the Baltimore Sun on the increase in um, the Hispanic population, which has gone up like 120% over the last 30 years. I think it's 5% of HBCUs at this point in time. And so there's a lot of activations for that community to make that real as well and celebrating the athletes that fall within that community. You mentioned Hispanic community, Hispanic community that is goes to H, kids that go to HBCUs. Correct. Yes. yes. So they're becoming more diversified, just like as you're trying to elevate the schools <laughs> in the time of diversity. Yeah. They're becoming more diversified. Yeah. yeah. And HBCUs, like uh, enrollments are up across the board. I saw that I think Howard University, I believe it was last year, enrollment was up something like 60%. So I think that there is a there's a very distinct alignment between the what the culture of an HBCU offers you, which is more of community and the needs of the population right now. I don't know if you saw um, recently, I mean, it was in May when the Surgeon General basically issued a warning about loneliness and like the, there is a culture of belonging that I think that you can get. And that is a big driver beyond the excellence, beyond sort of the athletic piece. There's also a deeper level of community, which I think answers a big societal need we have right now. Yeah. And, and I think what people might not know is HBCs are very, very diverse. And even though we are historically black colleges, this is how we were founded, but we're very diverse. And, and for instance, at Coppin State has the highest um, Hispanic population. And that was one of the reasons why we took a look and went back to 160 over 90 and say, hey, how can we focus in on that community because this these are the the individuals who are coming to our institutions and we want them to come to our institution we are all historically underrepresented and and uh and so we want to make sure that we provide that uh, that family that culture um of being at hbcus that's the whole part of being about hbcus not always about the education that you get but also the family that you get at HBCU. Yeah. Are you a product of HBCU or just working, not just working? <laughs> Are you yourself a product of an HBCU? Actually, I went to Old Dominion University for my undergraduate degree and I, I almost went to Hampton Institute. I did not want to go to summer school. I wanted to work at Bush Gardens. <laughs> However, I got my master's at Hampton. So I did um, eventually get there. And I worked at Hampton um, once I graduated with my uh, graduate degree. So I've always been with a uh, HBCU for my career. Well, and clearly the uh, track is treating you well because um, to be a woman commissioner at that <laughs> at the same time, um, you're 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 rising high. Um, tell me about that. Is it tough being a uh, female commissioner in the uh, sports world? Of um, it is. It's interesting. It's interesting. Yes, it it can be be tough um, because majority where you are, you're going to be maybe the only female in the room. I may be the only um, African-American female in the room. Um, so it, 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 it has its challenges. You know, I, I know going, I was at a football game and uh, with my, my deputy commissioner and they go to him 
mm-hmm. instead of going to me. Of you know, <laughs> you know that type of thing. And and then you know, I always say they try to mansplain. I'm like. I've been in the business long <laughs> enough. I know, just get to the point. What do you want? You know, it, it's, it's that type of thing. Um, so I think the challenges that I have are not unique to sports. Um, I think that's what all of us at this level have to deal with. Um, and, you know, we got to come in there and hold our own um, and let them know, you know, we are educated, we are experienced, we know what we're doing, um, and we can do just as well as any man in the field. Yeah, and you, you should also get the credit of you've made it all very real, too. I mean, within her organization, top three communications executives for the conference are female over half of the administrative staff is female. And then within the MIAC itself, then you have five athletic directors who are female. Like that is that is really incredible. And I think like for us as a communications firm, just you being out there, Commissioner Stills, and the, the ability of telling your personal story and the vision that you've set, like that's why we've had the success that we have. And also initiating programs that mean something like the 50th anniversary of Title IX, Everyone rallied around it. There were 50 individual stories that were pushed out across to just shine a light on like those people who made a difference as 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 things have changed. I think one example of that was like the 1982 Howard's women's basketball team. First team, like first MEAC basketball team to ever make it to the NCAA. So just celebrating that so that people can see it and live it and breathe it, like that helps to make the value which the MEAC has, which is increasing a focus on women's participation in sport. Like that makes it real. And then, you know, with our, I call them the Fab Five uh, female athletic directors, they are all, all four of them are over football programs. That's tremendous. You know, um, we, all we need is the opportunity. We can do the job. We just need the opportunity. And our council is, speaks to that by the hiring that they've done recently. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot of first in their, in their positions and which is tremendous, tremendous. And not only do we have the Fab Five, the the ladies that we have in the office, but our governance, our chair uh, of our council, Dr. Heidi Anderson from UMES, female. Mm-hmm. Our president of the MEAC is a female, Deborah Johnson from Howard University. Um, our chair of the athletic directors is a female, Melanie Webb from Norfolk State. And then we have um, Nicole Person from Coppin State, who's over our senior woman administrator. So our leadership is female. It's, so it's unusual in any, in any sort of world, but in sports, you're, you it's, are. It's, it's rare. So, so we want to, and that's why we really want to shine a light on the opportunities that are out there for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we just got to rise to the occasion. We have to take on those opportunities where we may say, you know, I don't have all the, the qualifications. A man will do it no matter if they got one of the qualifications, but a female will look and may, oh, I got maybe five out of 10 and won't do it. So we just get Let's go for the opportunities that are there. Um, you never know what can happen. That's great. 
Um, I want to ask you before I let you go to your busy life, clearly. <laughs> um, esports. Yes. Esports. I did not know that that was a college thing. I know that esports is a thing, but not a college thing. Tell me about yeah. that. So for for HBCUs, we're behind with esports. Esports oh. has been, yeah, right. My bad. <laughs> and I didn't know that either. Um, so the previous commissioner, Dr. Dennis Thomas, he had been floating the the ideal around. And so um when COVID hit, we were like, okay, how can we engage? Because there's no sports, but how can we keep everybody still engaged. So esports was going to be like a revenue generation, but a way to stay connected. About time we got into it, um, the presidents and chancellors saw it more as an opportunity to be a conference initiative so that it trickles from the turning the common game player into a team player. Um, and building the the labs and um, the infrastructure so that we have these um, programs on our campus. Um, and so we are running as if in the future that we're going to be a HBCU esports varsity conference. That's that's our plan. That's that's where we're moving towards. And so we're still in the infancy stage. Um, we have out of the eight member institutions, five of them have labs. We still have to get the last two. Um, so we're still in that building. We were fortunate enough to start our uh, seasons last year. Well, well, the year before, and this past year at our basketball tournament was our first in-person championship for esports. Um, this is tremendous. There is esports is a billion-dollar industry, but there's a lack of diversity. So we want to be that pipeline of diversity into that community, um, and to be able to bring that awareness of no matter what your educational bracket background or your degree is, it can tie into esports mm -hmm. from broadcasters, and they call them shotcasters as esports, um, behind the scenes, marketing, music, um, tr athletic training because of overuse of your hands and your fingers. So there's so much that can be integrated into esports, um, and it's fun. That's part. <laughs> Well, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. And I personally have learned so much in the last half hour. So, um, and I'm sure there's plenty more, more to learn. Um, but I appreciate your time and Sam, you as well. And um, good luck as we forge ahead. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Bye. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.